Shalom, and thank you for listening to the weekly teaching from Nachamu Ami. It's our honor that you've chosen to participate virtually, and we hope that this lesson will be an inspiration in your daily walk. Don't miss a single teaching. Be sure to download the Nachamu Ami app by visiting our website at www.makeandmessianic.com and clicking the Download the App button in the top left corner. Enjoy the message. A story of failure. We love stories of failure, don't we? Rambam, Moses Maimonides, one of the the great middle-aged scholars of Judaism, and I'm borrowing some of this from a recent thing from, from Jonathan Sachs. Rambam had a disciple that was struggling with his faith, and so he set out to write him a letter to help him in his discovery and to bring him back and connect him to the faith. And so he, he wrote it, and he was the leader of the, congreg- of the community there where he was. He was also a physician. He was a scholar. He was all these amazing things. So, so taking the time to write this letter for one guy, and it was quite lengthy, this letter. Um, and he sent it to him, or he received it, and it was completely... It didn't work. It was a failure. And it turns out that this letter became what is called the Guide for the Perplexed by Moses Maimonides, which is one of the greatest volumes of Jewish philosophy in all of history that has influenced Augustine. I mean, not Augustine, uh, that would have been difficult to do. Uh, uh, I can't, his name has uh, Thomas Aquinas, I think. Muslims, Christians, Jews have been influenced by this work, the Guide of the Perplexed, which in essence was born from failure. It did not accomplish its purpose. So another good story of failure, let's take the first Moses, the first redeemer. He was, by all intents and purposes, God's guy, and everything should have gone exactly right the way I see it. But when he intervened on behalf of his people, it didn't get better, it got worse, Their quota was increased. The straw was taken away. In Egypt, their burdens were made heavier. They left Egypt. They came up to the Red Sea, a seeming block. They got through that, but then they found a desert under Moses' leadership, and they found no water, and they found no food, and then there was no meat. And so what kind of leader is this guy? And having given them the Ten Commandments, Then the golden calf. And in the big, biggest thing, you know, that he he sends the spies in, we're on the on the cusp of the land, and they come back and say, it's impossible, it can't be done. And then to top it all off, those were those were all their things. But to top it all off, God's guy strikes the rock twice, and what happens? He fails to enter the land which is one of the hardest lessons to learn in all of the Bible. I still have a hard time reconciling it. But in the big scheme of things, talk about failure. 
all that mess and no reward. That's the first redeemer. What about the second redeemer, the final redeemer? What about his life as a success viewing from the outside? This, this guy, look, look, he says he's the Messiah. <laughs> yeah, right. But, but, but he's doing miracles. No, Satan's helping him do those miracles. Well, I mean, but, but, but he's a miraculous teacher. He's blinded the idiot's eyes. He's not. Well, but, but, he, but he says he's going to bring the kingdom like he's, aha, he does. Let's see what Caesar has to say about that. And so the great redeemer, the apparent ending of the story, death on a cross, no kingdom, no Roman overthrow, no visible salvation for the Israelites from their enemies. And your friends, your disciples, the one you loved, the one you cared for, they deny, scatter, turn their back, and run. And in the eyes of all those who had an expectation of what this guy was going to do and what he was going to bring, he was a failure. Now, it was for a limited period of time. Yeah, those are great stories, Damien. We know they all ended well. We know it's like a trick thing. What's the application? Well, I've got bad news for you, actually. I've got bad news because we've entered the days here of considering our own failures. And maybe because my email message told told the congregation yesterday, we're going to descend. Maybe that's why some people didn't want to come because confronting your failures, it's not actually very fun. It's not fun. Welcome to Elul. This is the seventh day of Elul, which is convenient this year because September's dates and Elul's dates coincide. So you'll always be able to know this particular year. It's the seventh year, I mean, it's the seventh day of Elul, and it's time to face the facts again. It's time to face the facts that failures, both real and perceived, happen in our lives, have happened, and sadly will continue to happen. And the bad news is this. We need to get in touch with them. We need to talk about them. We need to face them. And we need to ask this question. Have our failures ended well? And it's kind of a trick question based on what we're getting ready to talk about. And if not, if they haven't ended well, the next question is, what are we going to do about that? What are you going to do about that? And after all this, this 40-day period from Elul 1 to Tishrei 10, which is Yom Kippur, this is actually, if we consider it, this whole period is actually built on one of the greatest failures in the history of God's people. On the 17th of Tammuz, Moses comes down and what's he here? 
party, man. They are really excited to serve God. No, it's the golden calf. And the tablets are broken. And Moses says, what have you done? I'll go back up. I'll see what I can do. And he's up there for 40 days and he comes back down and it turns out that it's going to be okay. But God says, use some more tablets and get back up here. So on Elul 1, he goes up for 40 days and comes down on Yom Kippur. So actually this time period that we're talking about in biblical history represents one of the greatest failures in God's bride. So it's okay for us to be talking about this. And it's necessary. These days are supposed to be about rising and elevation in our walk, in our spiritual lives, our relationship with God and man. So why in the world do we need to spend time talking about failures? That's depressing. And, and, and how do failures end well? Well, this is, this is necessary that sometimes we need to go down before we come up. And we're so quick often to say, well, let, he needs to hit rock bottom. Sometimes you need to hit rock bottom. Sometimes you need to hit rock bottom. And that's a descent. And this does sound very depressing. But for the next four weeks, we're going to go through this process of Elul and into the high holidays. Our time in Hebrews was spent learning the word and our time now shifts to learning the world. And that is this world and how to navigate in it, and how to be a child of God, and how to recognize yourself there. That is how to be here as humans, longing for more of God right now, longing to live out your purpose, to find our meaning, to serve the kingdom to the best of our ability, longing to be holy like God, because that's what he told us to be. And so much of the world has lost that longing, I'm reading a book. How many have read Man's Search for Meaning? I know you have to have read it, like a lot of times. Anyone ever read Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl? Get it tonight. He's a psychiatrist of Vienna, Viennese psychiatrist, one of trained with Freud, I believe. Also happened to spend two and a half years in Auschwitz and another bunch of other camps. Man's Search for Meaning is a story about what goes on in the prisoner's mind in a concentration camp. I'm listening to it in an audio right now. It's just absolutely unbelievable. But the last part of it is about something called logotherapy that he created, which was a contrast to Freud's wackiness about we're all driven by our sex drives and desire for pleasure and every other thing that goes on, and I'm simplifying that a lot. But Viktor Frankl came around after living in a concentration camp and said, no, the thing that matters, the thing that keeps people alive is to find a meaning and purpose in their life. And that's how our counseling should be. We shouldn't be talking about ids, egos, and superegos. We should be talking about a meaning and a purpose in essence, God created me for something, but that starts with striving to be like him, actually. 
And I'm way off topic, but you need to get man's search for meaning and you need to read it. Maybe not the second half that's all about logotherapy, but probably for all of us, that too, because it's helpful. And I'm not through it all the way. So anyway, read the first part. Our deepest purpose to be like God. Well, we can't be like God. No, he, he asked us to be like him. And we need to also ask, what in our lives is making us not like God? And we need to confront those things individually, personally. What keeps us from walking a better walk? What keeps us from being what we are called to be as disciples of Yeshua? So I've titled this series, Every Descent, because when we dig down, we descend, we go deeper, we need to search ourselves out now. And the term is cheshbon hanefesh, you've heard it before in Hebrew, the accounting of the soul. That accounting, who loves accounting? Who loves talking to their tax accountant? That's a descent for me if you want to really talk about descents. But accounting of our souls is an important part of this. Every descent, that sounds incredibly negative. But that's the beginning of a more complete statement that will reveal itself in due time. So you just need to stay with me. And the key to teshuva, to return, to getting back on the path, begins with an important phrase that was stuck in my head and still is in my head and I want to stick it in your head. Based on a podcast I heard from Donald Miller who wrote a book called Building a Story Brand. It has nothing to do with God, Torah, Yeshua, anything. It's about how to build a successful business. But I was listening to one of his short little podcasts and he says this. He actually is where I, that's why I read Frankel because he references it. But he says this. Redeem the mistake. Redeem the mistake. Now, what does that mean? Well, you can draw some conclusions, but, but that is to say that, that we must identify the mistakes in our lives no matter how far back they go, and some of them have very lasting impacts and have never actually been dealt with. Have I learned anything from this mistake? See, mistakes are not the tragedy. The tragedy is someone who commits them and does not learn from them. That's a failure. In our context, redeeming the mistake is to say, how has God used this to teach me? And what am I going to do with it? But here's how your mind works. You ready for this? This is, this, I don't care if you call yourself the ultimate optimist. This is how your mind works. It's physiological. When we fail, we have a tendency toward the negative. To say, oh, I'm ruined. I can't, this is it. I have screwed up this, my reputation's out, God hates me, my friends hate me, I'm horrible, I'm done, I'll never overcome this, and worse yet, I'm defined by this failure, what am I going to do? 
It's a protective measure. Because according to neuroscientists, our brains have developed specialized circuits that register negative experiences immediately in emotional memories so that we can learn from them. Your positive experiences flow through the brain like water through a sieve. We experience them, enjoy them, and quickly forget them. And accordingly, in our brains, we use much more space for negative thought retention. It's physiological. Negative stimuli if not registered and responded to appropriately can be fatal. So you see, it's, a, it's like our animal, like human thing. God made it that way. Ooh, that sounds bad. God made us to be negative? No, but he made your mind work in such a way that if something hurts, if something's bad, you... Ah, no! We learn from negative experiences, but what we choose to learn matters so much. If this was bad for me, I want to avoid it at all costs. I want to make sure I don't even have to think about this, much less I don't want to meditate on it. Damien, I don't want to focus on it. That's called learned helplessness. Listen to this, I love it. It's a concept based on the idea that human behavior is learned via associations and responses. It keeps people in bad careers, poor health, terrible relationships, despite how easy it may be to escape. Escape. Learned helplessness is the reason many people feel like they can't control the forces affecting their fate. Once they've convinced themselves of this false perception... They stop taking action. They choose to stay in the same negative situation which then affects their happiness and overall well-being. And the negative consequence of not redeeming the mistake is a sure way to keep a false perception in place. And it will define you. Learned helplessness keeps us imprisoned. You are not defined by your mistakes unless you choose to be defined by them. Well, that's easy for you to say. In the words of Viktor Frankl, may I quote this Holocaust survivor, everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. I will read you something that I came across that I love, I love, I love. Speaking of choice, we do not choose to be born. We do not choose our parents. We do not choose our historical epoch, the country of our birth or the immediate circumstances of our upbringing. We do not, most of us, choose to die, nor do we choose the time or conditions of our death. But within all this choice of choicelessness, we do choose how we will live courageously or in cowardice, honorably or dishonorably, with purpose or in drift. We decide what is important and what is trivial in life. We decide that what makes us significant is either what we do or what we refuse to do. But no matter how indifferent the universe may be to our choices and decision, these choices are ours to make. And you say, well, where is God in that? God gave you the opportunity to choose. 
That's our whole relationship with God is built on that. Redeem the mistake. Or if you're like me, the mistakes, because the list is pretty long. But you must choose that process. And do you know it actually makes you live longer? It really does. There is a study that says that people who tend to be optimistic are likelier than others to live to be 85 years old or more. Researchers from Boston University and Harvard found that the most optimistic men and women demonstrated on average an 11 to 15% longer lifespan. So actually, your life depends on making positive choices. I stink at this. I'm a pessimist. I'm negative. I see the worst. I see what I define as the reality of things. That's the, that's the pessimist's way of saying, I'm not a pessimist. I'm a realist. Yeah, but your reality stinks. Like, it doesn't usually work that way. Why do you constantly... So I'm talking, I write these things for myself, and then I share them with you, hoping that maybe they'll impact you. How can we become more optimistic? Well, a clinical health psychologist explained that she works with patients to uncover systems of beliefs and assumptions people are making about themselves and their lives so they can begin to change them. And when we, when we begin making optimistic assumptions, our attitudes toward our own experiences become more positive. Our stress levels respond. Our physical health improves. In other words, we can choose to view life positively, and life often responds in kind. This world is a bad place. It is, but you got to choose to find what's good in it. And we have quite the clinical health psychologist, I might suggest to you. Goes by the name of Dr. Ruach. He knows our inner working, our thoughts, our feelings, our desires, our hurts, and he can and wants to help you uncover systems of beliefs and assumptions people are making about themselves and their lives so they can begin to change those. That's what this season is for. That's why you descend. We can find the positive in the negative. It's hard to do. We recognize that God uses all things for good, and that is the most cliche scripture, so I don't want to use cliche, but that is the most overused and underbelieved scripture. Romans 8, 28. God uses all things. We know he causes them all to work together for good to those who love God. And so while you're over there suffering, remember that. Two weeks later, (laughs) I can't believe this is happening to me. Didn't you just tell me God uses all things? I know, but that was you. (laughs) This isn't good. It says he does that to those who are called according to his purpose. His purpose. If you dig down and look for what he wants you to see. That's called being, that, that's called according to his purpose. And it reminds me of Hebrews 12. Sam and I had a good discussion about this one time many years ago that still sticks in my head. 
talks about a father who loves his children and who disciplines them accordingly. Because what father who loves you would not discipline you? What father would let you make horrible decisions and give you no guidance or correction? That's in Hebrews 12. He says, our fathers, they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness. We can't be like God. Yes, you can. And sometimes it's the failures and the descents and the things that he's disciplining you through that will help you get there. That is not exciting. I get it. I don't love it. And that even means our mistakes. That even means your failures. That even means your tragedies. But you have to redeem them. Well, that's God's job. Actually, he gave it to you. He gave it to you to look inside and find the positive. How do we do that? Well, three Ps. Everyone knows alliteration, right? Alliteration is one of my favorite things because it's memorable. Becky's beagle barked and bayed, becoming bothersome for Billy. The three Ps, and it had to be three Ps because two Ps would be, that wouldn't be good. You can't learn anything from PP. It has to be three Ps. I want to make this ultra clear. I've just talked through this process that I'm about to lay out here, and it's going to be quick. But let's give a memorable process. Our Elul journey begins with redeeming the mistakes through these, these three Ps. The perspective of positive prognosis. The perspective of positive prognosis. Perspective, positivity, prognosis. It's easier than Betty's Beagle Barked and Bait. The perspective of positive prognosis. What we see is our perspective. Being able to recognize mistakes and failures, to broaden our view, to be willing to confront and contend. How we view the world. Thank you, Dr. Frankel, and our purpose in it. What we see is our perspective. What we choose must be positive, even in the midst of the black thunderclouds of the storms of life. What we choose must be positive, which actually flows from the first P. Your perspective informs your choice to positivity. What we, what we choose to believe matters almost in this circumstance. What we choose to believe matters almost more than what actually is. Do you realize that? That, that can't be applied to God or relationships and certain things. I can't say to Kelly, well, I choose to believe that four other wives would be good for me. <laughs> but when it comes to Choosing what you're going to recognize in your life as, as this positive redemption from mistakes, that is almost more important than what actually is. Living a life of positivity is a matter of, matter of choice, not circumstance. It derives from perspective and not personality. It's not the events of the lives that shape you 
But the meaning we assign to those events, and I borrowed that from a book called Positivity Bias. We must see our mistakes as learning opportunities. The consequences are the discipline of a loving father. That's what you have to realize. Sometimes we make really crappy choices and there are consequences, but God still loves you. As a matter of fact, that's evidence of his love. But I didn't make those choices and I'm bearing the, I'm bearing the punishment. Somehow, somehow, God is at work there. And lastly, what we see is our perspective. What we choose must be positivity. And what we believe is the prognosis. What we see, what we choose, what we believe is the prognosis, which is normally reserved for the medical field, the likely course of a disease or ailment. But it can also mean generally the end, of a, the end result of a given situation. But let me tell you something. Both definitions apply to what I'm talking about. Because if your, if your negative perspective leads to negativity, making negative choices, which in turn, that leads to a negative prognosis, that's as good as having a disease. Because your life will suck. Part of redeeming our mistakes is to believe what I just told you. That God is in it even when he doesn't seem like he is. And that we will give these mistakes to a loving God through the grace, merit, and virtues of, of one who never made a mistake, Yeshua. And know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he will lead us on the ascending path. Because a positive perspective yields a healthy prognosis. The perspective of a positive prognosis. And so our journey begins here, redeeming the mistake. But I don't even know what the mistake is. Well, I don't either. I know what mine are, and I know that I need to know mine. But I, I, I want to do that in the sense of redefining our image as children of God, who, who desires that you don't sin, but he says in 1 John 2, if you do, we have, we have an advocate with the Father, Yeshua HaMashiach, the righteous one. Don't sin, but if you do, we have an advocate. But hear me, hear me, children, John, I think would say, don't let it define you. Yeshua's life could have been viewed as a mistake, but God, Moses, mistakes upon mistakes, but God, and the Rambam, who even knew, but God, and you, guided through these days with Messiah Yeshua as an advocate, your mistakes, your failures can be touched by you and redeemed. And the door closes. If all the doors closed, that would mean we've got a lot more to talk about. We're going to be here all day. <laughs> Elul is a time of spiritual accounting. For those who've had a relatively easy year, I read this. I can't even remember where I read this this last week. 
It may be easier to come to terms with the past year, but those of you who've had a difficult year, you might be discouraged, burdened by setbacks and question your capacity for real change. Knowing that disappointment is natural at this time because it is a launching pad for the experience we desire, that of teshuva, of returning to God. We are not really stuck in anything. We just think we are. We can change. We can change. We can choose a positive prognosis. The Home Depot has this motto, more saving, more doing. The Home Depot. I'm modifying that. We're digging in, digging deep, searching, descending. More searching, more doing the high holidays. We're gonna take action in our lives. We are not going to be imprisoned by our thoughts. And some people in the, con- in the congregation or online say, well, I, my life is good. Like, I'm not, I don't, I'm not dealing with what you're talking about. That's okay, somebody is. And somebody needs to hear it. But I bet, if we're honest, all of us have some stuff down there, way down there. We need to search it out, right? We're going to learn to use this. We're going to learn to use our failures for fuel. I like that. I actually came up with that. My failures are going to be my fuel. As I descend... I will ascend, because that's the second part of that. It's a Hasidic maxim, actually, that says, for every, every descent is for the purpose of a future ascent. And I think that says it best. So, We're about searching, we're about digging, we're about right now the descent, that's our current trajectory, down where we need to go to the root of things next week. Every descent is for the sake of a future ascent. Shabbat Shalom. We hope you enjoyed the weekly teaching. We'd love to hear from you with a comment, a prayer request, or questions you might have. We believe the mission and message of Messianic Judaism is something the world needs now. If you enjoy these teachings, would you consider financially supporting the work of Nachamu Ami by visiting our website at www.makinmessianic.com and clicking the Give Online button in the upper right corner. Thank you again for listening.